Hello friend. It has been a week since I jumped on here. It's been, it's, we're now in the month of February and, and it's a great opportunity for me to talk about black history. I don't get to do it very often, even though today is Valentine's day and I have a little bit of surprise for you on my next episode. So tune into that. But for today, I'm just taking the advantage of being in the month of February. It's my birthday month. And also in particular in America, it is black history month. And I actually call it black heritage month. Uh, That's just something that's probably unique to me because black history, it's when you talk about history, it seems like people and events and things like that are stuck in the past, but I know how much heritage makes a difference and it's made a difference for me. And history is heritage. The heritage that we, the context that we live in is absolutely the heritage that we are passing on to the next generation, to the people around us, to the new people that are entering into our circles, our spheres. This is heritage and community and generations. And so it's, it very much makes a difference in our everyday living, heritage, where we come from, the history around us. We cannot compartmentalize it and say that ha- that was then, this is now. There's a thread and a culture that is enabled or disabled by the choices made before by people before us. And so heritage gives us a great context for how we live and for why we do the things the way that we do them right? And for people of color in America, particularly, I do believe that there's this unsaid massive mental and social health implications that they, when they're, you're not able to address or you're end up avoiding the societal gap and the, the societal compartmentalization, especially if you live or work or have social circles that are more diverse. And, and if you're a person of color in America, you do have to function in a more diverse society. You're always kind of jumping across a bridge, bridging the gap between what you experience outside the mainstream circle and what you experience uh, inside the mainstream circle. So today, I want to talk some about how I'm empowered to show up wholly comfortable within my own skin and to forgive a society that doesn't yet have peace about the things that my multiracial, multinational woman of color life presents. And wherever you're coming from today, I hope today's podcast just empowers you to show up wholly in your skin. Let's get into it. Hey mama, are you way too busy to figure out what you actually need for your health? Do you wanna make sustainable progress in your health goals while also feeling at peace with your body? Maybe you just feel stuck. You dread getting dressed in the morning because, well, nothing fits anymore. Hey, I'm Lou, and wherever you are, we're going to love your body to health. As a mom, wife, and trainer, I like to debunk popular culture to help you find research-based sustainable habits. We're moving out of overwhelm and into empowerment. Wherever you are, fill up that water bottle, lace up those shoes because we're about to move your health. Let's catch up, friend. So a little bit about me, if you haven't been listening to the podcast long, you probably hear it come up quite a few times from here on out and probably a lot before, but uh, I grew up in eastern, rural eastern North Carolina, rural eastern North Carolina, and I was in and around Greenville, North Carolina, and it was in the 80s, and we actually, my sister and I were born in New York City, New York, 
and my sister was born on March 25th, 1977. And that date is very significant because if you look at the books, the history books and the legal books in North Carolina on March 24th, the day before she was born in 1977, the North Carolina relieved the laws that would make it legal or made it legal to for races to marry. So not even considering children that they may have, it was illegal from that from that point in toward the past that uh, races could not mix uh, legally in North Carolina. And so we were uh, literally legally illegitimate children in North Carolina. Thankfully, we were born in the state of New York. And by the time she was here, uh, it was legal. So we went to schools in eastern North Carolina and I, I thought it was always very odd that there were no other mixed children in our schools. <laughs> I, they were any mixed children that I interacted with were always younger than me. I had no friends who were mixed race growing up. And so, and it was very rare that you would come across a mixed race person in Eastern North Carolina. And now I understand why it's the history books. And once again, history matters, heritage matters. And the heritage of North Carolina is that the races were meant to be separate for, for as long as possible. Now, this was not the, the case across the U.S. This, this was according to state law, and Alabama was the last one to make it legal. And I think it was as late as 2000 before it was actually on the history books, uh, or, or, sorry, on the legal books that, that races could intermarry legally. And so it, it really has been a, an ongoing problem, an ongoing social issue in the Southern states, particularly all of the Confederate states had these anti-miscegenation laws. Miscegenation means the mixing of, of genes or mixing of genetic lines. They wanted to keep them separate. And so it's really important to, to have that context because then you have some of the context of historically what was happening in the States, right? So growing up in Eastern North Carolina, I knew none of this context. I knew that my parents had some challenges. They were asked to leave their church uh, in a small town in Eastern North Carolina. They were, my father was a physician and he, uh, there were some some hurdles for, for people to clientele to come and use him as the, the, the region physician, regional physician. He took that job because it was, it was a stepping stone towards some things he wanted to do in his career. And, and it it was, there was quite a bit of chatter about my parents' marriage and On top of that, they were not American. So my mom was British. My dad was Jamaican. And as far as they knew from across the ocean, east and south of America, that everything was fine in America. Martin Luther King had come and and everything was peaceful between the races. (laughs) And and flag, red flag, no, it was not. (laughs) And so I had to learn a lot of this in hindsight, and my parents were not learning this alongside me. This is something that I did individually. It was something that was important to me because I, I really did not understand the context in which I was growing up. It was very visibly divided, but I could not understand why. These people have been together for hundreds of years by this point, and nobody was mixing or crossing lines. There were designated places in within the town that were black or white. Real estate lines were very, very clear, and, and it was just really odd to me. And so 
I did find this really great book called To Be a Slave. It's by Julius Lester. They label it as a children's book, but I, I encourage you to read it at your own risk and not with a child first the first time because it's really graphic in some ways. But it, it I picked it up in middle school. It was a dusty old book in the corner of some shelf and it was probably the only book I read cover to cover really, really well and, and understood it. Uh, was paying attention the entire time, right? And so the uh, one of the quotes in the book of one of the I think was one of the first quotes it says the ancestry of any black american can be traced to a bill of sale and no further. In many instances even that cannot be done. Such is true of part of my family and this is Julius Lester and his he tells a little bit of a story about his father at the fir- the very beginning of the book. He says, our family tree ends in a bill of sale. His father says this, our family tree ends in a bill of sale. Lester, the name of the family that owned us. And that was all the history his father cared about, knew about, about his family history. And it's really, if you think about it too long, you will become depressed because it really is the loss. I, I, I'm one generation away from my family in England and Jamaica, and I absolutely feel the the massive amounts of loss of culture and history and heritage that I have because I didn't grow up in those contexts. I grew up in a mix of those contexts, plus rural Eastern North Carolina, plus some of the city and urban urban experiences I've had, and also the university experiences I've had, maybe the international experiences I've had outside of those countries as well. But it really is very challenging to try to piece together what's lost and what's kept. And I know that there's significant pieces of both that have been kept, but I can't tell you what they are. And you can just see when I walk in a room, I'm just not quite like everybody else in the room. And so just kind of thinking about the the massive loss of a stolen African into these Western nations, it's really, really challenging to kind of put together those puzzle pieces. I'll give you a little story. My recently, my husband, he likes to run a certain route here in Durham and it's a two mile distance. And I recently asked him, did you do it once or did you do it twice? And he said twice. I was like, oh, well, I because I, I thought about it and I was like, man, I actually want him to do less because I'll feel so much better about myself if he had done less. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you're just like, somebody says that they did something big and you actually kind of wanted them to have not done a whole lot (laughs) just to make yourself feel better. And I, then I realized, man, that is a terrible character trait. I do not want to live like that. I want to live where I want people to feel free and allowed to be great around me. I want them to grow and do amazing things. And what if they did so much better, even if that meant that I would have to work harder at whatever I'm doing to to really just kind of embrace the value of that hard work and that going after something bigger. Uh, in spite of maybe I, I don't even actually get better or catch up with them. It's but it's really important. My character, I want my character to say, you shine bright and don't shrink. And I, I need for people around me to want the same for me. I want people around me to say, shine bright, go big, go bold. Wherever you are, whatever bold is for you, whatever bright is for you, shine bright, right? But this is not the message I got growing up in the rural South. 
And I would say there, there's a lot of trends of that in the Western world as well. Putting a damper on the people around us in comparison or wanting the glory. And it's really, really, if you begin to look at the heritage and the society that I was in, the, the historical context that I was in, it you start to kind of begin to put together the puzzle pieces. So for one example, imagine being born into a society where you're legally labeled illegitimate <laughs> on the on the legal books. You're not supposed to exist as a human. You're not supposed to exist in the form that you're born, whether it's your skin color, your heritage. It's just for existing. It's not even because you were out of wedlock, which is a big common phrase, or maybe you're the wrong side of the tracks, or you you just shouldn't even exist. And we don't know what to do with you. We don't know how to mark you on a page in attendance to show whether you're here or not here, right? And part of this is just, just a taste of living as a person of color in America. But we get that message that, our existence makes things harder for the society as a whole. We create a burden and we create a drag on the system. Things have to be created anew or thought out differently so that we are a part of the fabric of the society. Except when we can prove that we are the exception to the rule that has been created that says that we are a burden, right? And this is where it gets confusing. If you're confused, welcome to the, the show. Welcome to the party. This is Colorful America, right? When I see my family, my family of color, I don't see exceptions to some rule that people of color cannot be elite, established, excellent. I, can, I see education. I see creativity. I see good humor. I see courage. I see vibrant connection with others including other nations. They are well-traveled. They have great taste in food and music. They have amazing focus, a, a massive hard work ethic. They have amazing accomplishment. If I could just give you the people that just put their labels on paper, you'd be, your mind would be blown. They are long track records of leadership in their fields around the world. These are common traits in my family, in my brown family. These are common traits, not the exception. But American popular culture does not offer a place for people like those in my family. They say Colin Powell is the exception. They say Condoleezza Rice is the exception. This is not a community. This is an exception. And the people in my family are seen as exotic or some other lofty or foreign framing around who they are and where how they've become established. There are American black fraternities and sororities that try to offer this community, particularly to the black community, but it's for those who understand the system or who are black American entirely. So they're not first generation black American. It's it's third and fourth and 10th generation black American. And those are for also for those who participate in the American college system. So there are many black Americans who are who never experienced the, the black fraternities and sororities and the community that that provides. But you I can literally feel the separation of my family's culture only a generation away living in America. 
it, it is a very, very different feeling than, than I would have had likely growing up in the space and time that my family was growing up in. And it, what is really, really important, and this is where I come to Black, Black Heritage Month, it, I need the heritage of normalizing intellectual strength, courage, vibrant connection with, with diverse communities and a host of cultural celebration. And that is what I believe has been stolen from Africans coming to America. This heritage of normalizing these amazing things that humans bring to a society. I even believe it's stolen from those who are coming to America and, and asked to abandon their home cultures. Many immigrants are asked to fully abandon where they come from so that they can assimilate, they can make life more efficient, and they are not a cog in the uh, American wheel. I even think that these things have been stolen from white Americans because there's no opportunity to ever connect and expand the, the view of how we look at the world. We, there's this lens that I believe is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, more and more tunnel vision that is white America. And this is a very bold statement. I get it. <laughs> but at the same time, it is, it's reality of separating out cultures and heritages, they are not separate. They are functioning together. But as long as we continue this kind of mold of, of separating the Skittles colors, we are not going to be able to appreciate and hold in high regard humans from every background. And particularly in America, we have this ever forward, never backward focus. So it's always about the next thing. And Unfortunately, we also, and with this capitalistic society, well, we call it capitalistic. It's kind of nuanced. It's really, really challenging. And I'm not talking about socialists. I'm talking about there are people who aren't able to participate in a capitalist society because of where they're coming from. And so, but we have this kind of forward, ever forward, never backward focus where we just dump out all the history buckets and we find ourselves backed into these corners again and again and again socially because we are not able to value the context that heritage has to offer. Heritage has so, so much intellect and education to offer and we're, we're missing it. And because of people's distaste, or maybe their dismissal of the past, or maybe there's a lack of personal awareness of where you come from, maybe being totally in, a, in, in the dark about what's happening around them, the context and how it became the way it is socially and, and within different societies and communities within America, I've been challenged because I sit in the middle of all these, I've been challenged from a young age to figure out how to articulate the gaps I see and experience. This is too big. It was too big for me at three and four and five and six and seven. And really what I've, I've started to do as an adult is something a bit different. And I'm just going to give you three things that I intentionally do to bridge the gap for myself and for others. And number one, I talk about being multiracial. I talk about being black. This makes people in America very uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know why, or I do know why, 
because I understand the heritage and the context, but it, it is challenging because there's so much, there's so many passionate passion points and political points. And, and I'll get that, get to that in a second. There's so much that is tied to social and racial identity in America. And I love to celebrate my family. I love to celebrate all the people who made me. And I, I am very adamant about forcing people to recognize who are around me, who are in my circle, recognize the eliminated people, stolen Africans in Jamaica. Those are eliminated people from my history. And I want to add to that as I celebrate Black heritage in America, that I am celebrating the people who have been eliminated from my family's history. And this is, this is very... I say eliminated because there are still many massive color issues in Jamaica right now. <laughs> and I learned this as I got older, but they actually talk about their history and it, and it is a brown society. So some of the history, uh, they slavery was abolished earlier. Slave owners actually often lived off the island and they would you know, have relations with slaves on on the island and there there were many more privileges for their mixed offspring than say in an American context so it was a very different dynamic it it is altogether a different dynamic than it is in America but the eliminated people this is this is very anti-western because many people are taught to put a damper on who they are entirely or they have one foisted on them by others who want some of the glory of, you know, I have a black friend or I have, you know, this friend who is whatever there's, there's this kind of piecing out of, of ethnicity, but it's really important in, in America to highlight the black heritage because that is, that is not diversity generally. People try to include everything into in the diversity role bowl, but it's important for me to name that blackness is the silent offender, particularly and blackness, black culture, skin color, heritage, and these things are blamed so often more than the withheld access to resources. And I'll say that again: black culture, black skin color, black heritage. These are often named as the issues rather than the withheld access to resources. And these have been labeled, these other things have been labeled as the offender in American history, throughout American history. It's horribly mislabeled as a major player that makes America inefficient or ineffective. And Black Americans are very aware of this. We understand that there is a positioning of Black America to the negative within American Black history. Unfortunately, this is dismissed constantly in mainstream America. White Americans uh, dismiss the history, uh, dismiss it as conspiracy, and unfortunately, the strife continues. And I say this liberally because this happens daily. I see it 
constantly. And so it, it it's, I'm talking in the offensive zone. And I understand that coming as a multiracial person, I am right there in the crosshairs of racial, racial mixing in society, but I'm here for it, right? I'm here to talk about it and I'm here to be real. The other thing, so I also note that technically having black and white heritage is really interesting because a lot of people confuse and I've even had it directly said to me, Lucinda, you're not black. I've said it, I've heard it from a white person. I've heard it from a black person, but the reality is I've never felt white in America. (laughs) Never felt white. I've definitely felt biracial all my life. And I can, I can move easily between people groups. I see a lot more diversity in people groups where my black and white friends see more strict color lines, but I've never felt fully on the white side of America's color line. And I understand the heritage of that as well. If you understand the history, you understand the heritage and the context in which I, I would not feel like a white person in America. And that there is a definite feeling of whiteness in America. I definitely have felt fully black in America. America and and very proud and very happy with that uh, but it's it's actually seen as a negative within white white circles of America and it's very interesting to watch this dynamic play out and so I definitely uh, the second thing second point and again it, it may feel like I'm kind of hitting across different things but I promise this does make sense and it does contextually work together these are the puzzle pieces the second thing I, I intentionally do is I intentionally try see and acknowledge color and talents and heritage. I'm very intentional about this. There is it is extremely triggering for me when people say they don't see color. It is extremely <laughs> triggering for me when any human says they don't see color, particularly in the American context, because color is heritage here. And heritage affects perceptions. What we perceive is real. That's, that is our reality. What we think is happening around us, that is what our body is going to respond to. And in America, we perceive that people are much more different than they really are because of the color of their skin. And we do not see history. We do not see location and where they grew up. We do not see heritage and the context in which they grew up. And so our perceptions are being molded and have been molded in our popular culture according to the color of our skin. There are many wealthy Black Americans who feel like they have to act a certain way, a way in which they did not grow up because the, because of the camaraderie and the community that it creates across the Black race. It also creates a bridge for white Americans who don't understand that Black Americans can also have access to resources. And so it makes it really complicated in the workspace and social spaces when when there are these phrases when somebody's acting white or acting black or speaking white or speaking black. There are these phrases that are tossed around because people can't really have, don't have a file folder for black Americans participating fully in, in mainstream society. It really is, can throw things off. And so it, it, color is heritage and we have to see color 
and have to be able to acknowledge that there is a background that may not be what we think it is and to be acknowledge that that color may not match and be be open to expanding our thoughts about color and heritage in America, right? Oh, hopefully you're still with me. And if you're still with me, I have a last point. <laughs> One of the ways that I intentionally show up and own who I am. And this is a big one, especially in America in the last 10 years or so. Well, I'd say, oh, sorry, all of American history, if you, if you understand American history. But I try not to make blackness political. And this is very key for me because it masks real issues. There are real issues happening in America. And unfortunately, our political system is very based in our social system. And because we have issues and racial gaps in our social system, of course, we're going to have racial gaps in our political system. I cannot ignore ignorant politics and that, that continue to mask real issues in America. So it's going to be really important for me to somehow highlight the real issues without it being political. But it is in the, within the political space that these issues will change. They will not change without the political system engaging with these issues. And Black heritage and history in America is about human rights. It is not about the political agendas of different groups. You will see historically our political groups have flip-flop sides on who's who's taking on these real issues, whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats or some other party. It's really, really challenging. Right now we have the issue of mass incarceration. We have the issues of hiring and promotion preference. And we have still have redlining within real estate, meaning that there are places that that are that realist real estate agents and and laws and things like that are put in place where it's preferable for black Americans to be buying versus white Americans and you'll see kind of in neighborhoods that there's still racial lines happening and so most politicians don't know how to talk about non-white heritage in a way that's both humanizing and also get into the real issues very quickly. And so when you have a politician that is familiar with these issues and, and understands the real issues, it's very important to understand that people of color are going to be supporting that, poli that politician. <laughs> people of color are listening. We are listening for people who speak the language and understand the dynamics and the distances between races within America. It's really, really important. So Black Heritage Month is, is, is about the history of that dynamic. It's about bringing that to the forefront and saying, this is still at play. This is still hidden. This is still not happening. This is still not, we black Americans are still not being celebrated. They still have, there's still distance within the society at large. And unfortunately it, it just continues and continues and continues out of ignorance. And so all this to say, what, What's really important to me is being able to look back and have a real strong context of where I come from. I don't 
my my genes didn't come from America within the last few generations of my family. My genes came from England and they came from Jamaica and a lot of places in between. Thankfully, I, had to, I get to have a, a very international family and it's something that I just enjoy and celebrate and we just, we enjoy together. But it's, what's also important is that I understand, I can tell you with some clarity, at least five generations back in my family, in my British family uh, and in my Jamaican family. And this is five generations back, meaning uh, there are different sides of the family that were more dominant. So I, I follow my dad's side more clearly. And then I follow my mom's side through my through my granny more clearly. So my mom's mom more clearly, my dad's dad more clearly. And so I have about five generations of information from from those sides of the family. I have an idea of the dynamic, the world they lived in, the choices they made, the positions they held, the businesses they started, the academics and accolades and, and leadership positions that they had. It's very, very interesting, the good and the bad. It's really important that you understand where you come from. And this is my challenge to you, the good and the bad. I want you to dig into your family five generations back. You may be so surprised at what you find. And actually, I know you will be so surprised at what you find. I've, I have, we have narcissists. We have, we have so much, we have the rakish people <laughs> and we have the amazing people. And it's all part of family. It's all part of context and history and, and the good and the bad and the ugly, the great choices these humans made, the bad choices these humans made, the ways that they set up the next generation for success and the ways they set up the next generation for failure. It's all there. But it's great to know and understand where you come from so that you can have a clear idea of why you operate in the world and how you operate in the world. And maybe, maybe you can make some changes or maybe you can understand why you do it and be able to celebrate it a little bit louder when it comes your turn, right? So anyway, that's your homework. Find who is your family the five generation test. Do you know five generations in your family? Get your family talking about the past. I know with some families, especially black fam- black American families, it's really kind of taboo to look back, but it's really important. See if you can get your family talking about where they come from, their parents, their grandparents, and see what you can find. Okay. So we are in the, the Body Habit Rescue Group and we are doing the fitness challenge right now. Please come hang out with us. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Body Habit Rescue and leave me your comments. Leave me your questions. Leave me suggestions. DM me. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, let's move. Thank you so much for listening. If it was helpful to you, please pass to a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews are so supportive to me and to others. I read every one. Until next time, let's move, friend.